Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast. The beginning of any new endeavor can be challenging. There are unique practices, new language, and so many questions about the way things are supposed to work. This newness can be tricky to navigate and sometimes downright frustrating. In this series, we'll focus on addressing questions that people who are new to Christianity or are just starting to engage with scripture might have. We hope these conversations will inspire and encourage you to more fully participate in the kingdom of God. Why was the Bible written? Is there a main point to it? What is the Bible about? In this episode, we discuss these questions by addressing both the metaphysical and rudimentary value of Scripture. The Bible helps us discover who God is, who we are, and how we ought to interact with God, ourselves, and others. This book helps us discover how to live in alignment with reality, thus discovering a life of fulfillment. What is the Bible about can be answered on many levels. And I might make a, a stab at, at a very most rudimentary level and then the most metaphysical level. And the most, metaf- the most rudimentary level, which I think is where I live most of the time, is this is what works. That's what the Bible is about. It's what works and what doesn't work. Um, at the great metaphysical level, the Bible is about why God created humans and what role we have to play in a grand drama that is like the greatest, the greatest plot line of all times. And that one, that one I think is typically missed by and, and the West. Um, but it's one of my favorite topics. So you want me to you want me to go through it? Or? Yeah, I think you should. <laughs> oh, of course. So uh, I, I usually start in Psalm eight. You can start a lot of different places, but Psalm eight is a pretty amazing uh, psalm, and it goes through and, and it has nine verses, and verses one and then three through nine basically to say the same thing, which is, "Wow, God, it's really amazing that you made this world." And it's so huge, and we're so small, and you chose to put us in charge of it. When you had angels that are way more powerful than we are and way more capable, it's really incredible that you put us in charge. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, and you think, well, it is kind of weird, isn't it? Why would you put? Would you want to put like a, you know, a, a dog in charge of? the United States government or the smartest person is kind of the idea. You know, it's like, this is way lower creature and you put the way lower creature in charge. That's really amazing. And it's a, it's a praise psalm because it's written by a human. But then verse two, uh, is, I call it a plot twist, a massive plot twist that says uh, that God is silencing his enemies through the mouth of, of nursing infants, the power, the strength of nursing infants. Okay, well, that's very paradoxical. Right. When you see nursing infant, you don't think, oh, strong. Power. <laughs> oh, power. You, know, you, don't, you don't think that, right? Oh, that nursing infant's going to silence some big bad man. Some, you, you don't think that, right? You think dependent is what you think. 
and you think new. How can a little thing that has to trust its mother for everything be ascendant over someone who's so strong and powerful? Well, God's enemy is Satan, who was apparently the most powerful of all the angels. Um, Isaiah 14 talks about this. It's uh, and it's talking about the king of Babylon, but it's a dual dual application. Like you're fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Uh, Lucifer means um, light bearer, and so he, he Lucifer apparently was uh, this uh, angel of light. Actually, is what Paul calls him. He's able to disguise himself as an angel of light, and. You have fallen because you said, I will be like the Most High. So here you have someone who's incredibly powerful, so powerful they took God on to try to ascend over God and took a third of the angels with him. So very powerful. That's incredibly powerful. And God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do with you, Satan. I'm going to shut you up by using nursing infants. Now, who's the nursing infant? Well, nursing infants are dependent and newly arrived. So in the scheme of things, when you come to the Garden of Eden and you've got God and you've got Satan and you've got Adam, who's the new arrival? That's Adam, right? And so humans are the new arrival. And you've got Satan, who has the capability. Satan, by the way, means adversary, is able to take on God. And you've got Adam that doesn't know anything. Okay, And so what can Adam do? Well, he can trust. That's the nursing baby. The, the thing that nursing infants can do incredibly well is trust. Why? They have no choice. Right. <laughs> they have to. They have to. Now, in our case, we actually don't have to, but we can. We have that capability. And when we trust, that is stronger than Satan's power. That's the basic idea. So, God gave Adam one rule to trust, and he busted. Apparently, what happened then is Satan actually got reinstated because when Jesus uh, was going to the cross, he said, the rule over this world, and he was speaking of Satan. So, he apparently got reinstated, and he said, but I will draw men to me, all people to me. And in the Revelation, we see Satan is thrown down and and actually removed from office. So today, because uh, Jesus said in the Great Commission, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, which means that, that the authority has been granted to, to Jesus, but he hasn't, hasn't actually taken the office yet. So it's kind of like a president gets elected, you know, a new president gets right. elected and the other one stays in office for that time before the inauguration. Well, that, that's what Satan's like now, apparently. And so Jesus has the power, but he hasn't actually taken the office yet. Uh, in the meanwhile, what we're supposed to be doing is shutting him up and proving that, that we acting in service and in love, in obedience to God, loving one another, actually are better rulers than Satan is with all of his power. Now, if you think about that, what that means is when we're controlling, domineering, we're on the side of Satan. And when we are serving a mission and serving our organizations and serving our families and whatever that means, we're on the side of God. And we're shutting Satan up. 
and Jesus said as much to Peter when, when Peter said, hey, you, you shouldn't be saying all this stuff. You're not going to go and die. We're not that. You're upsetting our crowd. You're going to chase people off. And Jesus said to him, right after Peter had said, well, you're the son of God. Well, you're blessed because God revealed that to you. Well, you shouldn't be saying this. Get behind me, Satan, because your thoughts are on the things of men, not the things of God. And that's the key distinction. So when we, when we are doing the things of God, depending, trusting, walking in obedience like a child, we are doing a cosmic, massive work, you know, universe-changing, historical thing by actually proving God's point to Satan. It's kind of stun. It's very stunning. Yeah. And that's what we're here to do. Said, so, well, it's and then and then of course there's the question of well. Is it just a cat and mouse game then? When we just when we're done, we just you know the kitty eats us. Well, no, actually, as part of that, then Jesus said, you know, and what I'm going to do, by the way, I'm going to reign, and I'm going to need a queen, and that's humanity, all those all those who have followed me and overcome. That's it. that's who's going to reign with me. Like, well, so we're going to reign. We're going to reign over the universe with Christ. That's the destiny. That's the greatest reward of all. And that actually fulfills that actually fulfills what we were made to do. And I will get people, sometimes I talk to people about this and they say, well, I don't want to reign. I say, well, let me just challenge that, okay? <laughs> do you, you always want to defer to everybody else? You never want things to be your way? You never try to get other people to do what you want? Is that really? No. They're not that way. You all, we all want to, our circumstances around us to be harmonious, and our natural bent is to harm, harmonize it around us. But when we learn to harmonize it around something greater than us, that's when we're actually serving, and that's when we're actually truly fulfilled. Both of those are reigning. One is as a tyrant. The other is as a servant. And what Jesus has given us the opportunity is to learn to reign as a servant. And he says... I will elevate your name as high as mine if you'll do that in the universe, which is really mind-boggling. You can't actually get a total grasp on that, but that's the promised reward if we will serve. So we're put here for a very, very enormous purpose, and if you look at it at the metaphysical level, uh, it's really stunning. And then if you say, well, that's too big for me, you can say, okay, well, then just do what works. They're the same. <laughs> <laughs> what works is when you serve something greater than yourself, you actually enjoy life a lot more. Yeah, that's really good because it allows you to come in in a very practical way. And we talked about the Bible's relevant to me and use it for a practical purpose. But, uh, you know, depending on how big your imagination is, how big you want to think, you have the opportunity to rule at the right hand of God over the entire universe. It's pretty extraordinary. And one of the things that ties into this for me is we it's said that we're made in the image of God and you hear that over and over and so one of the things I try to explain to people from my perspective well if you're made in the image of God what do you think of God like what's your perspective on God and people who are believers like well almighty all-powerful the most incredible being that ever is or was or could be well you're made in that image so 
then what's that? Ex what's expected of you? Are you expected to be small and insignificant? <laughs> that doesn't make sense, right? If you're made in the image of God, where God's saying, oh, yeah, I want you to be nothing, really. Mm -hmm. Do nothing. I think he made us for greatness. I've heard you talk about where actually you said it today, where we have superpowers. Mm -hmm. we're, we're meant to be superheroes. That's what God hopes for us. One of your, uh, one of your um, uh, themes that you use in the Yellow Balloons devotional is your faith inner superhero. I, yeah. I think that's my favorite one that you, that you do. Can you talk about that for a minute, uh, how, you, how you work that theme and how you weave it? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes into the Psalm 8 thing. It's, uh, it's another one of these paradoxes that we are so small compared to God, but we have such a place of honor. You know, we are invited to steward what's ours to steward, but nothing more. You know, the temptation is like, I'm going to steward what's God's to steward. Uh, but, you know, if we, if we just think about faith and stewarding that, it's like that is such an incredible opportunity. You know, there's the angels are so much greater and bigger and power, more powerful than us. But there's one thing that we can do that they can't do, and that's know God by faith. We can try. They're, they're in his living room every day looking at him face yeah. to face. They can't be nursing infants. And, the, yeah, the Bible says that the angels look down with awe because they're just like, how in the world, with everything that Joey has been through, not seeing God, how is he still hang, like trusting and hang, like how does he still have his ability to choose? And it's a, it's a real, you know, powerful thing. Well, one of the things I love to think about is uh, I liked Spider-Man a lot when I was a kid. And so I'm reading the book. I know who Peter Parker is, the, who's the Spider-Man. And no one else in the story knows. They all think he's just the science nerd. And, right. But but I know, I know that he was bitten by a spider and had his DNA transformed and now can do these magic spider things. And I know that he has great power. And the big question he constantly wrestles with is, how am I going to use this? Am I going to use it for myself? Or am I going to use it for others? Well, that's exactly what's happening with our lives. The angels are reading our comic book, and they have, you know, Joey as this. And all of us think you're just an author. Just a guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but really, they know you have this superpower. And the big question is, what are you going to do with this amazing power? And it looks to us like what you're doing is just stuff. It's not yeah. what it looks like to them. It's big, big, big things because faithfulness is so enormous. Well, and I think somewhere in between that, uh, this is what works in the meta narrative is uh, you get these cycles in the Bible of, of sin and redemption and, and relationship with God. And, and, and I think one of the other cycles you get is that choice. The, you, know, you get to steward the choice of who am I going to trust. And so throughout the Bible, you get these two paths. Are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust something else? Self, usually. Self, usually. Because idol worship is actually is actually I'm going to give myself an excuse to do what I want to do by bribing this idol. Right, yeah. So it's, am I, yeah, we all worship something. Are we going to, am I going to worship my flesh, my own self, or am I going to worship God? And the Bible is basically laying out that choice before you. That's what all of the Proverbs are about. That's uh, what, you know, the Gospels are about, what the epistles are. Like, it's all that 
narrative just kind of reinforcing itself, but it's, it's laying at our feet this opportunity that we have to know God by faith. And it, it, you know, it plays into this meta narrative, which is so amazing. And it also just is what we, what works best for any individual human and their life. And so what is the Bible about? It's about all of these things interlocking, uh, weaving together with one another. Another there, and there's several themes that run through the scripture, like they're in this between the sandwich. And one of them, and one of my favorite, and and we have a and we have a series on this in the Yellow Balloons podcast, is uh, exile and return. Right. So if you think about the meta narrative, is God put Adam in to make this point to Satan, he fell, he was exiled from this from this place of perfection. Where, where do we all long for to get back to the place where there's the tree of life and death is no more? And so, well, that, that's what we're promised at the end. So we're exiled and we're returning. And what you see in the, in the scriptures is all these different uh, birth pangs, if you will, or these cycles of exile and return. You have um, Abraham is exiled from his old country to a new country, and that becomes a whole. And then he's exiled to Egypt, and then he returns, and then they, you know, after they become a great nation, and then they sin, and now they're exiled, and then they return again. And a big chunk of the Bible is about that Judean exile and return. Mm-hmm. Well, why does God spend so much time on that theme? It's because it reflects us, and each one of us essentially is born an exile, and we have an opportunity to become a naturalized citizen through faith, enough faith to look, and become part of God's family. And then now the question is, what are you going to do with that amazing opportunity? Are you going to take full benefit of it and get the full reward, or are you going to squander it? Yeah, I would I would add to that, you know, we're all longing for like the full manifestation of the return, which is either the impetus for faith or the impetus for our own, like for a lot of tyranny in the world, because we're trying to just make it happen uh, on our own, on strength. our own accord, according to our, like we're waiting for it to happen now. And I would say what's been helpful for me also thinking about what the Bible is about is uh, I love how much the Bible talks about courage and just the idea of trying, just keep trying. This is an imperfect play. You know, we're, we're, we're in exile. And we can have glimpses and elements of the return that are very significant, but the full manifestation of returning to relationship with God isn't going to happen in this life. But we can continue to see more and more glimpses of it and to participate in that uh, more and more. And, and the exile return cycle throughout all the scripture is weirdly encouraging to me because it's like, well, if you mess up, there's still a return. <laughs> Tomorrow's okay. another day. Yep. There's another choice. There's another yep. opportunity uh, to return back to God. Well, another one of the themes that runs through is second over first. Yeah. Like second over first. So you get second king David ascends over the first king Saul. Second son Jacob becomes Israel over first son Esau. You get, uh, what, what are some other seconds over first? Well, the New Testament talks about Jesus as a second Adam. Well, right. So do you get this? Jesus as the second Adam ascends over the first. Uh, well, actually, Joseph. Joseph was the second first son. It says there's two wives, and the first son of the 
Right. The first son of the first wife uh, is Reuben, and the first son of the second wife is Joseph. And the whole idea of when the coat is is um, is Jacob ascending his favorite wife, ascending Joseph over over the non-favorite wife. So then th that's all through the scripture. Well, why is that? It's because the first Adam fell and the second Adam ascends over him. But it's also the first ruler fell, that's Satan, and humanity is being installed over Satan. So second over the first keeps coming in here. And uh, what are we told if we want to be great? Be second. If you'll be if you'll be like children, then then you'll be elevated. Another theme that runs through there is the familial theme. So you get uh, marriage is a theme that comes off the Israel is God's wife. He married Israel at Mount Sinai, and that's a reflection of the relationship He wants with each person. Okay, that's pretty cool. Well, Jesus is called the bride of Christ, and the church is His bride. That's pretty cool. That's that's a highly intimate relationship and then there's also father child uh, that's that's that goes through there that our father wants what's best with uh, for us and there's a number of verses that say things like that like you're pretty good fathers to your own children you don't if they ask for a piece of bread you don't give them a snake how much more will your heavenly father only give you things that are in your best interest but what do we do we whine because we just want to eat ice cream. And God, no, no, you need to eat meat and vegetables. <laughs> no, we want ice cream. What's wrong with you? We... And so you've got all these different, what is the Bible about? Ultimately, it's about uh, who we are, how we fit, and how we can get the, what God designed us for, which is the way you can get your, ultimately you get your fulfillment, is to, is to be who God made you to be. Like you were talking about C.S. Lewis this morning. Yeah, I don't recall that conversation. <laughs> well, you were you were listening to that podcast. Of, oh, I was listening to him talk about, or they were talking about how C.S. Lewis came to intelligent design. Yeah. Right, and that he he originally, well, he was actually radically opposed. He was an atheist when he started. But even when he came to believe in God, he he couldn't find the proof for intelligent design and ultimately, the way he found his way there, though, according to that podcast we were talking about, was uh, a lack of proof for the opposite of intelligent design. He just came to the conclusion that there was a void, and so there had to be intelligent design. And he looked around him and just a, in a common sense way said, nature's beautiful and we long for nature. Where does that longing come from? Right. So there's got to be something that's put inside of us by God that makes us long for that. And in his uh, book, Surprise, Surprise, Surprise by, Joy. by Joy, yeah, he, he basically said, so you know, I was the most reluctant convert in all of England because he came to the point of if God made me, he made me for something. And if I do anything else, then I know it's non-reality. So I'm just going to do the, the reality thing. And because of the paradigm of sin's fun and everything else is drilled, he just said, I'm just going to be miserable the rest of my life, but at least it'll be real. Right. And he turned out, wow, this really works better. <laughs> so that's why he was surprised, surprised by, by joy. Yeah. <laughs> All those things I longed for in the stories, they're here. Yeah. Great book. Yeah. So the you know, the Bible ultimately is about 
what we're doing on this world, which I think is why it's so relevant. People are always asking that question of what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? What are we doing here? How do we relate to one another? And I think the Bible is God's inspired answer to, to those fundamental questions. Why do you think he chose a, a written book? Versus uh, like an oral tradition? Or anything else? It's kind of a trick question. Yeah, I mean, I... I would say because he didn't want it to change. Ah, because so, that's what you do when you want something to be. You want something right formalizing. Right. Why do we have a written constitution? Because we want to know so everybody knows, not just now, 100 years, 1,000 years from now, they're going to know the same thing. Well, that, so that's very interesting because the, we started this with why is something written 2,000 years ago relevant to me? What you're saying is you should really change that and say, uh, why wouldn't you listen to something that God chose to write down so it would so still it would be not there change. for you? Yeah. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing, you get this, uh, this uh, passage in Romans 10, and it says, uh, how beautiful are the feet that, of those who share the gospel. So it's really good to go and, and preach to people and tell them about all, like, like all the things we're saying now. Uh, but then it says, well, has everybody heard? And he said, yeah, actually they have. And then he quotes Psalm 19. Their line has gone through, out through all the earth, which is talk, Psalm 19 is talking about the heavens declare the glory of God. Right. And the line is like the plumb line. The heavens tell you what the right way is. Just all you got to do is observe. If you'll just be observant, everything the Bible's telling you about cause effect, you can actually see it in nature. Right. It's right there for you. It's telling you how it works. And so take it anyway. Here it is in writing. The Spirit, you're made in the image of God. You've got that voice. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. You've got that voice. And nature's telling it to you. And it's all around you. Take your pick. So he used everything. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowbloons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowbloons.net. Thanks for listening.